Welcome to the Madison Story Slam Show. I am your host, Adam Rosted. Welcome once again to an episode where we're featuring stories from our Story Slam events. This show is from our Liar Liar event on January 20th, 2018. It was our first show in the year 2018. And let me tell you, it was packed. We had more storytellers than we've ever had before. And let me tell you, all of the stories were just incredible. If you didn't hear the last episode, which also featured stories from Liar Liar, then you should go back and listen to those ones, because those are great too. In this episode, we will hear from Zach, who doesn't like to dirty talk, but wants to know what you're thinking about. We're going to hear from Rebecca, Tom, Lydia, and David, who, evangelistically speaking, tells us that pastors don't always share the exact truth. So, lots of great stories on this one. If you're listening to this the day it came out, that would be Thursday, February 8th, 2018, then I've got news for you. Tonight, Thursday, February 8th, 2018, we will be at The Frequency in Madison, Wisconsin, teaming up with Wisconsin Public Television to put on a story slam for the Garden Expo weekend. That's right. Every year, Wisconsin Public Television puts on a gardening expo in Madison, and this year, to kick it off, they asked us to help organize and run a story slam at the frequency. The theme is resilience in gardening, so come ready to share and hear great stories about how to garden and and stick it out in gardening and have amazing vegetables and flowers and things. I'm sure we're going to have all kinds of stories that we didn't think we would have with this theme. We will have with us for sale our two new best of CDs. These are their stories, volumes two and three. There's a limited quantity of volume one left. We will have those with us as well. So come ready to support Madison Story Slam. They are $10 a piece or the two new ones for $17. The doors open at 6.30 and stories start at 7. So come on out to have a great time tonight. But if you can't come tonight, don't worry. Our regular Story Slam is scheduled for Saturday, February 17th at the Wilmar Center. And the theme that night is There Will Be Blood. So come tell some great stories about the times you've been injured and blood has been shed or any way that you can make the theme fit your story. We want to hear it. Those CDs will also be available at that event, and that is exciting as well. A big thank you to Ale Asylum for sponsoring the Saturday, February 17th event, just like they sponsor every monthly event. All right, here's stories. Up first, it's our good friend, Zachary Shea. Please put your hands together for Zachary Shea. I don't really like to lie. I think it's because when I was a kid, when I did lie, I always got in trouble. I always got in trouble. Once I lied about, I managed to get away with lying about doing my homework, and I almost failed middle school geography, of all things to fail. So I always try to avoid it. And when you mix that with my natural insecurity, it just, it's not a good cocktail combination. People will be like, you look good today. And I'm like, no. That's the setup for this story. How many people here like Star Wars? Yeah, okay. 
All right, I think enough. Uh, in, in, in a story once here, uh, I actually described my sex life a bit like the original Star Wars trilogy. So there's the beginning, I'm Luke. I know of the Force. I'm generally aware, and, and, and I'm trying my best, and Alec Guinness is in my ear, he's like, use the Force, Luke, and I'm like, I don't know how. And then I get to college, and things get a little more complex and interesting. The direction gets a bit better. Um, I, 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 had, I, had a, I had, for a time, a girlfriend who I affectionately referred to as Yoda because she had to teach me how to have sex. But I'm actually going to skip ahead a bit now, sort of to the end of when I was in college. To Return of the Jedi's when any Star Wars fan would know things get weird. Um, I I had I had a lot of probably more than I should have relationships in college, um, but really there was one big one. Uh, even at the end of college, there was really only one person I had dated for any significant amount of time, significant here being a year. Uh, and she broke up with me uh, right before my senior year of college. And so here I am, I'm Return of the Jedi Luke, I'm moody, I always wear black. I'm just focused, I gotta kill my dad. I don't, my dad's. <laughs> my dad's like, he's a good guy, no. Um, but I'm, 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 on, I'm on the rebound as far as the force goes. But I'm not having very much luck. When sometime around halfway through the college year, I, I meet this woman and I, I, I could just tell right away that she was a much more experienced force user than I was. <laughs> Which is also kind of, I don't know, I had always had, she was a, a little bit younger than me, she was in college, I'm not, this, this isn't that kind of story. So it was kind of weird meeting someone who was younger than me, but also clearly like years more experienced sexually than I was. And, and for the most part, but we were flirting, and it was probably a bad idea. I was probably getting in over my head, but I had this one friend who had been watching me be super moody all semester, so he was my Palpatine being like, do it, give in to your anger. <laughs> so I do. <laughs> and finally, the flirting escalates to a point where we are in my room, and uh, everything is confirmed to me. She is, in fact, more experienced than I am. She's very into dirty talk, which is not something I am capable of. <laughs> I just can't. I don't know why. My go-to line as women who I've been with will confirm is, what are you thinking about? In, during sex. That's the best I can come up with.
So I'm in, and I'm trying to dirty talk. It's not going well. <laughs> Alec Guinness is standing in the corner of the room being like, he is more ma man than machine now. <laughs> and I'm going to fast forward, because again, you don't need to hear about my gross college sex. But we get to a point where she says to me, can't even like fake dirty talk something somebody said to me. <sighs> okay, I'm just gonna do it and get it over with. She says to me, Zach, you have an amazing dick. And I go, mm, hold up. <laughs> she could have said anything. She could have said something totally subjective. Like, she could have been like, I love it. But no, she made it an objective statement of quality. And I can't lie. So now I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's not the worst thing you've ever seen, but it's like, it's, it's, outstand, it's outstandingly serviceable. <laughs> and she being the mature human being, was like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And I'm like, I just, why did you say that? It's, it's, it's weird. It's, 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 it's not the biggest thing. And it was a little hairy at the time. I hadn't shaved as much as I normally like to. It was a bit like an Ewok. And everybody knows Ewoks are not the best part of Return of the Jedi. They are arguably the worst part. So she did not make it to the end of the movie. That's the end of the story. I don't have, I don't have some big punchline. I would, I would rather be an Ewok than Jar Jar Binks. So, there, there is a, yes. Thank you, Zach. Our next storyteller has never told a story here, so please put your hands together for Rebecca Mandich. So, sometimes I like to ask people what their first impression of me is. I just find it curious, like, who do you think that I was in high school? And sometimes people will look at me and say, like, yeah, I could see that you were pretty popular, that you had a lot of friends, and that could not be farther from the reality. I was on the math team. I never had a boyfriend. I didn't play any sports because I was too busy kicking ass being the drum major of the marching band. So, um, yeah, high school was not a peak moment for me, but I, let's say I blossomed later on in life, and even though I did, I still feel like, eternally, I'm just this nerdy, weird girl on the inside. So, things changed for me once I got into college, and college is like a very powerful moment for the nerdy person, because the rules change, the terminology changes. You go from being a geek to being intelligent. You go from being an overachiever to being successful. 
Um, and for me, that was really amazing. I did well in college. I went here to UW-Madison, graduated in three years, and then got hired to be the director of a Swahili study abroad program in East Africa. So my contract, my first contract was six months, and it was really hard and really intense. And after I finished it, I felt a little bit lost. I had some time off of work, and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know where I'm going. I'm so young. And I decided, I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So I set out to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, and I'm not a super athletic person, but I trained. And I trained, and I was like, I'm going to climb this mountain. And I convinced my best friend from high school to come climb the mountain with me. So she flew over to Tanzania, and here we are. We're in our hotel room, and we're waiting for our guide to show up and for us to start the climb. So this tall, dark, handsome man with the most like, intense eyes and beautiful, endearing dimples you will ever see in your life walks into this hotel. And this is my Mount Kilimanjaro guide. And he's sitting down with us and doing this briefing, and I just feel like I just died in your arms tonight as playing, and everything is in <laughs> slow motion, and I'm just watching his lips move. Um, after we finished the briefing, I turned to my friend, and I said, it is going to be so incredibly hard for me to not fall in love with this guy before the end of the trip. So we started our climb, and if anyone knows anything about Kilimanjaro, you're going to be hiking for at least eight hours a day um, in relatively rough conditions. And in order to not think about how much oxygen like you're losing as you're going up the mountain, it's very helpful to talk and to tell stories. So I really started to get to know this guy. I found out that he was single. He really valued, <laughs> yeah, number one. <laughs> he really valued his family. His dad left when he was young. So he lived with his mother and his younger siblings and he became a Kilimanjaro guide so he could make money and send his younger siblings through college. And I really respected that. And he was just so endearingly cute. And he gave me a nickname while we were climbing the mountain. It was Bluebird. Sometimes he would call me Blue for short. And yes, my heart did melt every single fucking time. <laughs> so I'm climbing the mountain with him. And I don't know what it's like for you guys to fall in love. But for me, I'm a very feely person. And when I fall in love or feel this intense attraction to somebody, it's like my body is being magnetized to another person. And I can't think about anything. I can't do anything else until I give in to that or I explore that. So I knew that I liked this guy. And eventually, I was like, I'm going to ask him out. And I had never asked out a guy, but I just climbed Mount fucking Kilimanjaro. So <laughs> I had some endorphins. So I, I asked him out, and he said yes. Um, and we planned to go get a drink once we uh, finished climbing the mountain. So we go to that night where we're going to go get a drink. And the whole time, like, I want to tell him that I like him, but he's just really, really nervous and really fidgety. And he drank like a fourth of his beer, and he was just nervously talking. Like, I just, I just got to keep working. I got to send my younger siblings through college, and I can't get distracted by love or relationships or any of that. And... I felt this lump in my throat, like I wanted to tell him, I got the hint, but I wanted to tell him that I liked him, and I figured like, you know, what the heck, I'm going to be leaving and going back to Zanzibar, so why don't I just tell him? So I took a deep breath, and I said, you know, um, 
It's a shame that you're not looking for a relationship because if I was gonna date somebody, I'd wanna date somebody like you. And <laughs> I'm so corny and sappy. Um, fully aware, fully aware. And he like kind of brushed off my comment and just kept rambling and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go get another drink and like lick my wounds on the dance floor. So I leave and don't see him for like 15 minutes. And then the next thing I know, I catch him out of the corner of my eye and he's coming towards me. And he approaches me on the dance floor and he grabs the small of my back and he grabs my face and he kisses me. And it was really intense. <laughs> so um, after that moment, it was like I just, we fell down this slippery slope of falling in love. And I went back to Zanzibar and he stayed in Kilimanjaro and I was like, you know, this is an amazing connection but nothing's gonna come of it. But we stayed in touch and we talked on the phone every night and I was cynical and I thought that nothing would happen but he just kept calling me Bluebird and being the most nice human being that I'd ever met in my life. Um, that a year of long distance went by and it felt like nothing. After that year went by, I hit the jackpot with my work and I found out that I was being transferred to Mount Kilimanjaro. So this was finally like our chance to be together. I was really in love with this person and like this, this was it, this was what I wanted. So I moved to Kilimanjaro and when I was there with him, we never talked about moving in together but when I could finally see him and hold him and be with him every single day, it was like, I'm not letting you leave my house. Like, you're just gonna be here with me. Um, so yeah, we lived together and it was really easy. He was the kind of boyfriend that was so caring, so kind, somebody that would make you breakfast in bed and give you back rubs after a really long, hard day at work. So I was very blissfully in love and we lived in a really simple place where things like water and electricity were not consistent guarantees. And in fact, the power in Tanzania at that time was going out for eight hours a day. So there was one morning, one particular morning where the power was out and he was still sleeping in bed and I was getting ready for work and I, everything was pitch black and I couldn't find my phone. So I was looking around for it and I thought, aha, I'll just take his phone and use it as a flashlight to find my phone. So I took his phone and I hit the power button and then immediately a text conversation was right up there on the screen. I wasn't looking for it. And it was with a girl and it said in Swahili, and that means I'm gonna come so hard inside of you the next time I see you. I felt rage in my body for the first time ever. I wanted to puke. I didn't even know what to do. I left the room and I was just asking myself, how is this my life? Is this real? Is any of my reality real? Um, I wanted to scream. I wanted to go in there and cry and be angry, but I knew that I had to prioritize my security at that point. So I left the house, I went to work, and I thought like, okay, let me seek out my closest friend here, which was a colleague. And I go to him and I explain like, 
I just found out that I'm being cheated on. And then he looked me in the eyes and said, yeah, and he has two kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this piece of gossip, being like the young blonde girl that's in a job that's probably a little bit too big for her, was really hot in the community, and people loved talking about it. And uh, through all of those conversations, I learned that it was not just one woman, it was multiple women. He had a wife while living with me, and the two kids were real, and they were twins, and people would even tell me their names. So the people that I trusted and thought were my friends were in on the joke, and I think I was the only one that was unaware. So it was such a hard reality to come to terms with. From being on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, being in love, feeling so invincible, to being a vulnerable woman by yourself in a foreign country where you come to terms with the reality that no matter how well I speak this language, no matter how long I stay here, I will always be an outsider. So I had to learn a really hard life lesson that it's really not wise to constantly think that you're the exception to the rule, unfortunately. So I've now come to terms with things and I've really understood that even though if I, in that circumstance, I wanted to think of myself as I'm the hero. I can overcome all of the odds. I've lived here long enough. I know about the culture. I speak damn good Swahili. I can do this. But it just, sometimes we can think that we're the hero, but we're the statistic. And um, now I've come to terms with the fact that I am both the badass hero that can overcome all of the odds, but I can also be the statistic. I think we all are at some point in our life. It just depends on what that moment is. So after that experience, you would think that I would be really jaded and bitter, and I think there's a little bit of that there, but beneath the surface, there's still this nerdy, idealistic girl that wants to believe that love is real and that you can have a committed partner and be with them and be in a fulfilling relationship. And I know that that's probably not, like the statistics are not in my favor, but maybe, just maybe, I could be the exception one day. Thank you, Rebecca. You know, Rebecca, a wise philosopher once said, it ain't about how fast you get there. It ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. <laughs> Praise Miley. Uh, our next storyteller has a wonderful story on our best of CD. Uh, our volume three, these are their stories. Volume three, it's a story about him shitting on his friend Rusty, but I'm sure he's not telling that story tonight. Please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt. Um, so I've got a, uh, a liar story for you, and uh, I'll preface it a little bit with some background. Uh, my son lives in Missoula, Montana, and he's a uh, uh, whitewater paddler, 
and he has a good friend, Brandon, who's also a whitewater paddler, and the two of them have uh, independently of each other and together uh, been the North American Canoe Championships winners. So, uh, but Brandon and I have become good friends because we've uh, gone through the Grand Canyon floating a few times and uh, he's a good friend of my son's. But Brandon's got the, this incredible wit and he doesn't let up on me whatsoever. He's ripping into me all the time and I can't, my, my mind's not fast enough. I can't react to this kid. So one day I said to him, I said, and I've met his parents as well. They're both uh, nurses at uh, Mayo in Minnesota, which is where he's originally from. And I said, the next time I see your parents, I'm gonna tell them you've got syphilis. <laughs> so anyway, maybe a few months went by, maybe a year, I don't remember. But his parents were gonna show up at a canoe event and I was gonna be there as well. And so I was in the vicinity of Brandon and when his parents showed up and he immediately ran towards them and said, I don't have syphilis. <laughs> and the shock on his mother's face <laughs> was worth every bit of a lie I had told. <laughs> okay, now, do I have enough time to tell a non? Okay. Um, this story is, I will try. This has not, is off topic. Um, and the, uh, and it's maybe seasonal, it's a bit of a warning. A good friend of mine, a few years ago, was ice skating across Lake Mendota. And he was, uh, he took off from Tenney Park He's going toward the Union. And he found, or, the, or it found him, a area of the ice that was thin. And the ice in general was about eight inches thick, but for some reason this one area of ice was thin and he went through. He was by himself, and he was maybe more, a little more than halfway from Tenney Park to the Union. And now he's underwater, or in the water, and he can't get out. He can't grip the ice to pull himself out. So he decides what he's gonna have to do is take off his ice skate and use it as a tool to pull himself off the ice. And he went underwater, the ice skate came off. I don't know if any of you have ever tried pulling off uh, you know, with your ice skates, first of all, they're hard to get off, but second of all, every time you pull that damn lace, it knots up on you. Well, it didn't knot up on him, and he got the skate off, and now he's soaked, you know, from head to toe, and he uses that skate, and he pulls himself out. He's on the ice now, he takes off his other skate, and in his backpack, he's got a pair of boots on or pair of boots in the ice. So he puts the boots on and he looks and it's, he's more than halfway. So he starts walking toward the Union. Now he doesn't remember anything 
about his walk to the Union. But he got to the Union, and the Union was closed. No students, it was on vacation. But one, the door that he happened to go to was unlocked. And he walked in, and fortunately some people that were working there saw him, realized what was going on, and they stripped his clothing off him, wrapped him up in blankets and coats, and called the emergency. They showed up. Now, he doesn't remember any of this. This is all the story he was told. His temperature was 87 degrees. And the next day, he was home. <laughs> and we went out for dinner. And we, every time, well, you know, as good friends, when a person has something that, you know, they show a sign of weakness, you immediately attack that weakness. <laughs> well, at least with me and my friends, that's what we do. <laughs> and uh, so there was a lot of jokes about, do you have enough ice in your drink, Phil? <laughs> in any event, that's my, my off story for the night. We sure do love our regular storytellers and our new storytellers. If you want to come tell a story for the first time, come do it. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret stepping out and making that decision to share part of yourself. Something else I hope you won't regret is supporting Madison Story Slam and the things that we do, the community building that we believe we're doing. That It's not only a belief. I know we're doing it. I can see the community uh, deepening and growing and it's really awesome. Some ways you can choose to support us is by buying the new CDs that are coming out at a Story Slam event or by heading over to patron.podbean.com slash Madison Story Slam. It's a lot like our Patreon page, but it's different. We're going to shift to focusing more on the Podbean site just because that's where we host our podcast. It's just easier. It's patron.podbean.com slash Madison Story Slam. There you can go and figure out what all we're doing with that. You can pledge money monthly to pay for the things that you enjoy and think are important. And that money just goes to help pay our rent, our podcast, hosting fees, the website fees, and it will help us get into some merch and some cool things. No pressure, but it would help. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Let's get back to stories. All right. Our next storyteller has never told a story here before, so please put your hands together for Lydia Odegaard. Okay, this story takes place in India, where I have been a few times throughout my life. Um, when I was, after I graduated high school, I took a gap year in India, and my mom has been traveling there for years, and we have this family that we've been staying with um, every time we go for the past like 15 years, and they live in this village in northern India. So anyways, I'm in India during my gap year, and my sister comes to visit me for about a month. Um, and one day we're walking in the village and we're just like taking a stroll. We come across this guy and he goes, excuse me, are you Indian? And <laughs> me and my sister look very much alike. We both have very like pale complexions and like blonde hair. Um, we're wearing Indian clothes, which I guess maybe made him think we could be Indian, but like we're very obviously not Indian. Um, and we just kind of laugh and walk away. Um, 
A few minutes later, we're on the path, and this guy comes on his motorcycle up next to us. And he pulls up, and he stops, and he looks straight at me in the eyes and goes, um, I like you. And <laughs> I just kind of look at him, I'm like, okay. And he asked me if I have Facebook. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Lies, I do. <laughs> um, and one thing about being a white person in India is everyone is always trying to talk to you. And whether it's them trying to sell you something or them trying to propose to you, I've been proposed uh, to by multiple strangers. Um, so I didn't think much of this situation. But my sister is not very good at navigating these situations because she's very like typically Midwestern nice, where she's the kind of person where like if you're a stranger walking down the street and you see her, you have to question if you know her because she'll be like smiling so big at you and she just like acts like everyone is her friend. So this doesn't work well in India when like everyone's always trying to talk to you and just like get information out of you or like try to cheat you because she just like ends up having conversations with everyone who wants to sell her something and like have to explain to them like why she doesn't want to buy their like hippie Ganesh pants and like why she isn't gonna like buy all of their things from them. Um, so this is no exception in this situation. So I just like laugh and continue walking but she has to like engage in like a therapy session with this guy about like how much he loves me after he like saw me for the first time and how he just like he really wants to be with me and she thinks she's really smart and she's like well if you really want to marry her you know what you can do you can go see our family we live right over here <laughs> We live right over here at Hina Cafe. Our family has this guest house and cafe. She's like, you can go talk to our family and talk to um, like the, the fatherly figure of our house and ask if um, you can marry her. So um, <laughs> don't ask why she did this. So anyways, um, he gives her a little piece of paper with his name and his number on it to give to me. And then um, he goes away, and then she comes and reports back the conversation about how he's so in love with me, and I'm just kind of shaking my head. And she's like, well, I mean, at least he's wearing a helmet. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so he's got exactly one thing going for him. Um, anyways, a few days later, I am walking in the village again, and I see him. This time, he has a guitar slung across his back. And so I'm like, oh, shit, I know it's coming. So I just walk past him, pretend I don't see him. Um, but then he goes, excuse me. And I turn around, and he goes, I have something for you. And he's, like, shaking, and he takes his guitar case out, and he reaches in his case and pulls out this note and hands it to me. And he goes, uh, please, just give me one chance and then he hands me the note, and I take it, and I'm like, okay, and then I just walk away. Um, so I get home, and I take out this note, and here's where the liar liar part comes in. It's a stretch, but he had told my sister when he was um, in therapy with her about how much he loved me that uh, he was a local boy. This was one of his attractive points. Um, but when I opened the note, it was written on this like on these planner pages that he had torn out and they were in Punjabi which is um, not a local language hence giving away that he was not a local boy so um, that's 
that's where the liar liar part comes in. And <laughs> anyways, this note is just completely full of one-liners, like straight from Bollywood, where like <laughs> Indian men generally don't have like very good um, models of like what love in like Western culture looks like, and they get kind of their one-liners all from Bollywood because arranged marriage is like very common there and you don't generally like have these really like sincere conversations with people um, when you're attracted to them. So you just pull from Bollywood these like really cheesy one-liners. So his note is all filled with these really good lines. For example, the first time I saw you, I fell in blank, 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 blank. I can only assume that it meant love, but <laughs> this day I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> And he said, I just want to be with you, indeed or in need. Um, then he goes into this little, like, now some truths about me section. I don't know what the rest of it was, but um, the truths about him was that he had no love in his life, but he had his guitar, and he expresses himself with his guitar. So anyways, that day he didn't play me any songs on his guitar, but a few days later, I'm at my family's house, I'm eating lunch, and one of my family members comes in, he's kind of like a brother to me, his name is Hans, so he comes in, and he's like, the guy's here, like, he, he wants to see you, you have to come out and, like, tell him to leave. So I go out there, and I, like, pretend like I'm all tough, and, like, I'm gonna tell him to leave, and so my... Um, kind of brotherly figure starts talking to him and he's like they're talking in Hindi and he's like what do you want and the guy's like I just want to do an introduction and then I jump in with my Hindi he didn't realize that I knew Hindi and I jump in and I'm like what introduction like what are you here for and he's kind of taken aback like whoa this girl knows Hindi what am I doing here and then um, so then my brotherly figure um, then proceeds to kind of like tell him off and he walks up to him. He's like this tall and the guy with the guitar is like this tall. Um, oh, so yeah, he had his guitar with him. He was going to do an introduction with his guitar. So uh, my brother goes up to him and he just shoves him in the chest and I'm just standing there like, yeah. <laughs> and that's how I didn't fall in love with him. <laughs> Thank you, Lydia. Please put your hands together for my father, David Rosted. Yes, I'm the one who spanked him when he was four years old. And he fully deserved it. Yes, 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 yes. You know, we're talking about lies tonight, and uh, the one thing that you need to know is that there are two types of people that never tell lies. Politicians? And pastors. Uh, I am amazed that in a story slam about lies, nobody has mentioned the fact that Donald Trump called a couple of different countries and continents shitholes and then was able to come up and say, I didn't say that. Can you believe that? I mean, that is absolutely amazing. You sound like you're all Donald Trump supporters here. Because <laughs> you're not even laughing. I just want to tell you about, I, I'm, I was a pastor for over 30 years. And, uh, and you would think pastors never lie. Uh, and, and they really don't. Pardon? 
they call it something entirely different. And so once a month, and I would get together with uh, uh, about 30 different pastors, and we would all sit around and talk and talk about our churches and talk about things. And, or you would talk to evangelists who had been out on the evangelistic circuit in some way. And inevitably, this question always came up. So uh, how many people did you have in church last week? <laughs> or how many people were at, were at your meeting? And they, they never lied. They used another term. It was called evangelistically speaking. <laughs> and so they would get together and, and they would never give you an exact number. They would always say, uh, somewhere around 200. When it was really like 75 people, you know, that was all that was there. And so it, it communicated me, to me something about that whole idea of trying to show people that you were more successful than you really were. And that's what I think people lie about the most. They lie about the things that they want to impress people with, whether it's the church who has numbers or whether it's some other situation. And so I'm here to tell you, elected officials, politicians, and pastors, we lie. That is going to do it for today, this episode of Madison Story Slam. I trust that you enjoyed those wonderful stories about lying. And if you want more, don't worry, next week, next Thursday, the episode is going to be more stories from the Liar Liar event. It's going to be a shorter episode just because we didn't have enough to fill up a whole episode and I didn't want to tag it onto this episode and make this one extra long. And plus, it gives me a way to have an episode next week, so... It'll be great. Just trust me. It's wonderful stories. It's it's amazing. Anyway, hey, if you're listening to this right now, today, the day it came out, February 8th, Thursday, February 8th, then tonight at the Frequency in Madison, Wisconsin, you should come to the Gardening Expo Story Slam. That's right. We are teaming up with Wisconsin Public Television to put on a Story Slam for the grand opening event of their yearly garden expo the theme is resilience and gardening doors open at 6 30 at the frequency the stories start at 7 and then on saturday february 17th we're doing there will be blood at the wilmar center as always doors there open at 6 and stories start at 7 at both those events we will be selling our new best of cds anyway we'll see you next time and i love you